0: Hey Artemis listeners, we want to hear from you. Now, through November 2nd, you can enter to win a $100 gift card to Isle Royale Outfitters by completing our listener survey. Click the link in the show notes to share your thoughts with us today. Artemis endeavors to get more women in the field and on the water, to support
1: women as leaders in the conservation movement, to ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation.
0: Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Chance, and my guest today is Beth Johnson. Hey, Beth. Hey, how are you, Ashley? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. Terrific. And we are both in the Southeast.
1: Yes, we are. Atlanta. Atlanta. Loganville, specifically.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. Is it pretty <laughs> hot there? I start every podcast this way. Our listeners are probably bored, but I don't know. The we- my life revolves around the weather, so... <laughs>
1: It's about 85 degrees today, so okay. not so bad. It's not that humid either, so it's it's pretty nice.
0: That's the key, the humidity. Right. Good deal. <laughs> okay, well, our first question that we often pose is, what's in your freezer?
1: Oh, my. So I have 15 freezer, chest freezer, large chest freezers. <sighs> And two walk-in coolers and three walk-in freezers. So it depends on what freezer you lift the lid on. Oh <laughs> but uh, we've we've got everything from alligators to snakes to bears to wolves to mules to
0: mules. Yeah,
1: we've got we've got a few people that uh, wanted mules done. Um, we I, I, you name it, we've got it. All kinds of fish. Um, and then I have one phrase that that is specifically for Hollywood, uh, because we do a lot of work for the movie industry when they need something, um, you know, maybe a dead animal in the road or something, obviously they can't use the real thing. So we do a lot of work for that. So anything that comes in extra, like, well, anything, snakes, rabbits, squirrels, whatever, and they need it for a movie, then we, we, uh, we do the taxidermy side of it for the movie industry so just depends on what freezer lid you open but we've got several of them
0: oh my gosh that okay this is already (laughs) so much cooler and I already I thought it was going to be cool to talk to you um okay so yes obviously you're a taxidermist we didn't say that explicitly but that is the the source of all the frozen animals um yes I want to go back to the mule was this somebody's like faithful friend for years or what's the deal there
1: many times it is yeah many times it is uh in this regard it is it is um uh, uh it was just a, their their favorite pet on the farm um and they're going to have it mounted sometimes it's just a shoulder mount <clears throat> sometimes it's life size sometimes it's just the skull um and in regard to that mule I can't remember how they're getting it mounted but yeah um, right off, the, right off the bat, you know, being in business 35 years, it's my 35th year. So you begin to accumulate things. People just drop by and say, I found this huge coyote in the road. Do you want it? And of course I, I don't want to throw anything ever away mm-hmm. for any reason. So, mm-hmm. so we've started, we, we were collecting now. We, we did go through a couple of years so ago and kind of weed out all the stuff that maybe freezer burned and stuff, but We've got a little bit of everything in each of the freezers. They're organized to a degree and uh, you know, birds, uh, everything. We've got everything.
0: Wow. Okay. This is, so I know a lot of uh, taxidermists eventually end up kind of specializing in maybe birds or fish, but it sounds like you have just, you run the gamut still.
1: You know, I, I've all, I've often thought about that and if you had something that you need to have mounted in one taxidermist does deer heads and another taxidermist does birds, that's inconvenient in my mind. So I'm thinking we needed to be a one-stop shop, which includes deer processing. It includes, I mean, I mean from A to Z, everything in regard to taxidermy, whether you want the meat prepared for you, mainly deer season, or the birds, you know, the ducks breasted out to save the breast meat. It just... It, it really covers the gamut uh, of all, all of them but but yeah i just wanted to be a one stop shop you can have everything done here if you want to hide tanned or you want the meat done or you want a shoulder mount or you want a fish mounted um, so that was my desire from the get go and through the years i've been able to hire people who've made my workload a lot easier because i was it was just it was just me for so many years and finally i decided to hire some younger younger women, actually, believe it or not, that Mm, have an interest in the creative side of taxidermy, and it's just been
0: great. Wow. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are?
1: Well, I'm Beth Johnson, and um, I graduated from college with a degree in science um, teaching secondary, and I did that for about a year and a half, and I despised every minute of it. (laughs) And (laughs) I just... I just never found found the flow, so to speak. And driving home from school one day, I saw a help wanted sign in this guy's yard. And I thought, I don't know what he needs help with. But, you know, anything to take my mind off my full time job. And he was a taxidermist and a super taxidermist, by the way. And he took me in and uh, let me start doing the gutty, bloody work. But what you know I was a science teacher so nothing was was grossing me out and I thought man this is cool I'm going to skin this bobcat out today and take the the lungs and the heart and the liver to school we'll have a lab the next day and show the kids what all and I just fell in love with it and I the rest is history I worked for him for about 2 years finished out my teaching contract and uh, moved to Arizona and went to a taxidermy school in Arizona and just fell in love with it so um you know, then now it's 35 years going. I just, I just, I love it more. I tell people, you know, I can't wait to get home to sleep to get back to work tomorrow. I mean, it's, it's just that weird. And I know that sounds bizarre, but I absolutely love what I do. So um, that's, you know, that's, that's the short of it.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. That's so wonderful and inspiring. And I love how you, it seems like happenstance and also fate, how you became a taxidermist.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely. Because my brother and dad, neither one hunted. Uh, We would go fishing on occasion, but neither one of them hunted. So I I didn't know the first clue about taxidermy. Uh, But my interest was in, um, you know, the science side of things. And uh, it it just fell right into it. I mean, I found everything so cool and interesting and wanting to improve. Every time I mount a squirrel, I want the next squirrel to be better. So here we are 35 years later and I still want the next squirrel I do to be better than the one I did two days ago. And, and it is possible. I mean, you can improve on all of it. So yeah, I just love, I'm crazy in love with what I do and um, I don't know, I, I wouldn't do anything else. And this is a man's world kind of. Um, so that's put me in a little bit of a different category, but the guys around here have, have figured out, Holy cow, uh, those women over there at that shop is, take a little more time with detail they're a little bit faster they're a little bit this that and the other and and it, it you know I've got a great business uh, going on like I said 35 years and um, business has never been better so and I've got four or five taxidermists around me um, and I you know they are not my competition I'm my own competition to be honest I, they, they are not my competition we just keep our nose down and head, head down and, and do the job.
0: Wow. And the product speaks for itself. I'm sure.
1: It does. We've got a large showroom and, uh, um, you know, there, like I said, there's always room for improvement. And, uh, we try to do that. We will go, we go to competitions and we go to, uh, workshops and, you know, all over the place, trying to learn the newest, latest, greatest thing. And, uh, and then apply it to our shop if it works for us. And, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I just we, we all love it. And I'm thankful for these two younger girls, one's uh, in her 20s, the other's in her 30s. And they just do a superb job and they have an interest and a curiosity. And that's what it takes. And they love it on top of all that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's wonderful.
0: Ah, So cool. Okay. There's a lot of things that I want to know that I've just always wanted to ask a taxidermist. um, And I, as a hunter, and I imagine a Mm -hmm. lot of our listeners have similar questions. So I'm just going to launch into some of that and feel free to, you know, expand upon things that you feel need expanding upon. Um, But number one, what what do you wish more people knew before they brought you their animal as in things they can do in the field or that should be done in the field prior to the animal arriving at your doorstep.
1: Right. I think what people, I would love for people to know is that the animal they bring into us, whether it's a bird or a deer head or a fish, how you take care of that animal um, is going to make a difference because I can't put that scale back in that you ripped off or I can't replace, I, I can replace some feathers and a scale if I have to, but, but what I'd like to do is the, use the actual animal that doesn't have ripped out feathers because that's where you shot it and in the, in the, you know, the, it, it, the BBs kind of just penetrated all the feathers and, and now it looks like it's almost mangy. Um, so what, what you bring in is what you're going to get back. And we, we do do repairs. And on occasion, that's necessary. Or even replacing the cape on a deer, the hair on a deer. Um, if you dragged it through the woods and you drag the hair out when we get it and we skin it and flesh it and tan it and mount it, that hair is still going to be missing. Mm -hmm. That feather is still going to be shot to pieces. That fish is still going to be missing the scales. And most taxidermists need to charge for that extra time they're having to spend to repair and do things. So if you could just pay attention to how you take care of them once you've shot them. Now, On occasion, there's nothing you can do about a bird wing if it's missing several feathers because of just how it was shot. And in that regard, I would put that duck aside and wait till you get a little better one. If you don't ever get a better one, then we can mount that one. But just know that it's going to have, it's not going to be perfect because it's missing pieces and parts. Uh, So I wish people knew when they shot it to kind of inspect it, look at it. If it's the best specimen you're going to have all season, then wrap it well in some kind of plastic. You can use the pantyhose thing. Uh, never never newspaper. Never dry newspaper because that kind of sucks to the fish or the, you know, bird and tends to uh, freeze or burn them or dry them out quicker than they need to. So always in some kind of plastic maybe double wrapped and straight into the freezer as quickly as you can do it without gutting it. Don't do anything to them. Just wrap them whole and uh, put them in the freezer and then bring them in to the taxidermist when it's convenient for you.
0: What is the pantyhose thing?
1: The pantyhose thing is, is putting the bird in upside down so that the feathers stay with the bird, Mm. the direction they are naturally meant to be on the bird that holds all the feathers down and the wings in so that you don't have a, you know, a wing flopping in your freezer, or uh, the feathers being ruffled, um, because again, how you take care of this animal is is what we're going to have to deal with when we get it. Um, so it just kind of holds it all in sync, all in one piece, all together, um, and protects it. And then wrap it in plastic. But really, everything in plastic. Um, deer heads. You could, if you've got a freezer big enough, a large plastic trash bag. Um, But birds and fish definitely need to be wrapped because the freezer burn, which is, you know, the the air in your freezer is a little bit too cold, usually way lower than it needs to be. And it'll tend to dry out and then and then burn something. There are some things we can do to bring things back and rehydrate them. But if you caught a trout 10 years ago and you've just now decided (laughs) you want to get it mounted and it happens and you bring it in. And it's so freezer burn, we can't even get the meat out of it. It's so freezer burn. Well, you've just ruined that specimen. Had it been wrapped several times well, it probably would be, you know, okay. And and again, that has everything to do with the temperature of your freezer. Everybody thinks it needs to be as cold as possible. But when you're dealing with animals or or fish or birds, especially, if it gets too cold, if your freezer's too cold, then it begins to dry it out, which is the burning sensation, on, you know, on those animals. And some, like I said, sometimes we can rehydrate them, but it's it's extra time that the taxidermist is having to spend. Therefore, they're going to have to charge you for that. So you really do want to take care of your specimen in the field. And then when you get home, you know, wrap it well in plastic and, uh, and then
0: bring it in when it's convenient. Okay. This is a revelation to me. The freezer temperature. What... Are people's freezer temperatures normally, and what would you prefer they be?
1: So freezing is 32 degrees, right? But the more stuff you have in a freezer, you want to kick it down just a little bit. But, but 20, 25 degrees is, is really the coldest you want a freezer to, to be. My chest freezers will get below zero if I'm not paying attention, oh, wow. and that's too cold. Um, and just most people think, yeah, the colder the better, but that is that is not true when it comes to delicate things like a bird or a fish because those fish fins are very thin. Mm-hmm. And when they're in your freezer and they start to dry out and, you, you know, so, someone comes in and throws a pound of hamburger meat on, on that fish that you've had in there, it's going to break that fin, true. damage it for sure, or even break it. And now the taxidermist has got more work to do. And again, we don't mind doing the work, but it's got to be charged for. And so you're just doing yourself, you know, no favors by not just really taking care of it.
0: Sure. What about uh, the time element? Like when we think about, you know, bacterial activity and the decomposition, I mean, once an animal's dead, what kind of, what's the, how does the time factor in? So, what's
1: really going to play a large role is the temperature outside when you shoot that bird or that deer. Um, if it's this time of year when it's both season and it's 85 degrees out right now, it's going to be de- decomposing way faster in 85 degree weather than it is uh, if you're outside and it's 48 or even 32 degrees, you know, as the winter months come. Mm-hmm. So, you really want to be careful. Um, uh, e- eating the meat, you know, eating the deer meat or eating the bird, bird breast or, or thighs, um, it, that part is more important with temperatures than the taxidermy side of it. In other words, if you shoot a, a wood duck and it's and it's um, it's duck season, of course, and it's not so cool outside though, you've probably got um, you know, forty-five to minutes to an hour. To at least wrap it and get it in a cooler of some kind, even if it's just on ice, um, you know, to cool it down. Um, uh, Deer on deer, if you shoot a deer in this kind of weather, it needs to be gutted immediately, you know. And most people will gut their deer in the woods, but we do a lot of gutting here at our shop when they bring them in because we're going to process the meat as well. And it just the temperature real outside really has a lot to do with how quickly do you need to get it here, or could you could you shoot it on Saturday night, hang it from a tree somewhere, gut it, put ice in the cavity and then bring it on Sunday afternoon. Yes, that's fine if it's cool outside. Mm -hmm. So it it really, the weather outside has everything to do with it. Um, But this time of year, yeah, as soon as possible, it needs to get somewhere, whether you bring it to me to my cooler or you um, gut it yourself and put ice in the cavity, um, you know, depending on what you want. And I'm talking about deer there, but I wouldn't want you gutting a, a bird. Or the coyote that you shot, because taxidermists will make certain cuts in order to make it uh, easier to mount. And people that take their knife and go in there and just start uh, making all kinds of cuts is a problem. If depending on the the form that you choose, so Mm -hmm. leaving everything whole with the exception of, of the deer. And leaving the deer hole, if you, like, for example, we charge to gut a deer, but some guys will shoot a deer and then throw it on the back of their truck and hightail it over here, and that's no problem, and we can take it from there, do the gutting here, and like I said, we do charge for that, but do the gutting and then get it hanging in our cooler pretty quickly, and most guys feel like that's way faster than them sitting out there in the woods on the ground trying to find their knife or, you know, whatever to gut it, so it it really is all of it. Uh, just dependent on your situation
0: gotcha so you said that you went to school for science and you were a science teacher it yes taxidermy strikes me as a really interesting intersection of science and artistry how what part of that do you feel like you're more drawn to
1: it is completely that and i'm more drawn to the creative artist type Side of it, um, I mean, there are. What I love about taxidermy the most, I think, is that there's such variety. I mean, I can mount a deer head one day, skin a fish the next day, mount mount the fish later in the day, then go mount a bird, then go skin out a coyote. The variety, I just love the variety. It's it's different every day. And then you've got that big old mountain lion that somebody brought in, and he wants it on a rock that looks like a mountainside so now you're creating the mountainside rock um, by hand and there's just so much artistic creative side of things and that sets a lot of taxidermists apart there's some taxidermists that just love to mount deer heads and straight ahead left or right and that's it that would kill me if that's all I (laughs) had to do every day that would kill me I love it when somebody brings in a coyote and says I want it jumping towards a pheasant And I want a tree, a a fence post with some barbed wire going across and I want some tall grasses and I want uh, maybe a couple quail, you know, jumping out from behind him, flying off. I mean, that right there, that is my dream job. Those kinds of things or this mountain lion that we're doing right now or this moose that we're doing right now. And they both want each one of those two separate customers, but one of them on large rocks, one needs to look like a mountain rock because that's where a mountain line would be. Mm -hmm. And one needs to look more like you're in, um, Oregon where you've got some beautiful colored mosses and, uh, the rock is completely different from the mountainside rock. And so you're recreating all of that with a huge moose shoulder mount on top. Um, with the grasses and all the pretty oranges and, and kiwi green looking colors, I mean, uh, I really get into the habitat side of it too. So, um, gosh, I guess the science part of it is so cool when you are skinning a fish, and you see the heart and the liver and you you know all, and and what's in his belly? Well, he's got four brim in his belly. Man, he was hungry, and you can pull those brim out of his belly and see that. I mean, that kind of stuff I love. Um, but the, I love the artsy side of it, too. Um, it, it's just the perfect job. I'm telling you, this is the perfect job.
0: <laughs> You're making it sound pretty darn good, I'll say. Uh, what, how do you go about creating the, like the, I don't know, this, I want to say landscape, but those kind of backdrops that are so specific to like the vegetative community, the time of year, like, do you go to Michael's? I,
1: yes i'll buy things from michael well the first thing i'll do is get reference photos um, a lot of times the customer will bring in a reference photo here's where i shot the mountain line this is what this is where i shot it and, and so i can get an idea of the kind of rock um the, the the moose that we're doing right now he brought in a picture of the rock and all the brilliant colors of mosses and and stuff that are growing on the rock and so we're going to recreate all of that and we make that kind of stuff but if i need flowers or a a tree that's in fall or something like that i'll run to michael's or uh, hobby lobby or someplace like that sometimes we create our own leaves we create our own lily pads we create our own uh frogs that are sitting on top of the lily pad and that fish that bass is fixing to jump up out of the water and get the frog um i mean we'll we'll create a lot of that stuff but a lot of the ideas come from either going to competitions where i mean they're taxidermy the field of taxidermy is just loaded with artsy crafty unbelievable um creative people and so when you go to competitions whether you're competing or not you you i pick up a treasure trove of of I oh man we need to try that oh man that is cool i'm going to do that next time i do a squirrel and uh and then reference photos looking at reference photos i'll i'll go i went to utah recently and just took pictures of the rock and the mountainsides and the you know i mean i i feel like it's christmas early when i get to do stuff like that i'm always looking for cattails or things that are legal to take but you know cattails or whatever that i can add into a fish scene or um get lily pads and then cut them out to make the you know and and put the veins back in them and then recolor them to to the color of of the lily pad that you would see in south georgia compared to oregon I mean, um, and then there, like I said, there's reference photos, so you can kind of combine them all together, and then you know we just creatively create them. Sometimes we create them by mistake, and they're awesome, they're amazing, and, and we did it wrong, the way we didn't intend on doing it, and then it and it turns out amazing. So, you know, some of our stuffs are mistakes that look fantastic, and I'm thinking, wow, how did we figure that was amazing? Yeah, that's what we need to do next time. So, um, it, it's it's it's. Uh, It's a creative thing. But but as I said, looking at other people's work, looking at reference photos, and then when I'm out, I'm always taking pictures. If I'm on a hike or something, and I see an odd colored moss, I'm taking a picture of that. Because if I put it on something, and somebody says, well, you know, they're not that color. Oh, yes, they are. And and can show them a reference photo. It's really cool.
0: That is so cool. Wow. I I never imagined the amount of expertise and time and energy and effort that goes into curating those backdrops that's so cool
1: yeah it is now a lot of times um customers may want not want to pay in you know they just want that deer head on the wall left right straight ahead um they just want that coyote standing but if you can get them into a habitat of some type where it's telling a story now is telling a story, and so they're not just looking at a coyote. They're looking at, wow, look at that pheasant flying off. Oh, look at those two or three feathers that are caught in the bob wire on the fence, mm-hmm. and just little little things like that that add to the scene. It's worth every dime. Um, but if he's having to get permission from the boss or. or- or, or he just doesn't want to spend that kind of money, um, you know, we can always do them very plain Jane, and that's how most, most taxidermists do do it, or, or that's how they prefer to do it, but we love our habitats here, and the, the, yes, they do cost a little, they do cost, you know, substantially a little more, um, but gosh, it's so worth it, because when you're telling a story as compared to looking at the deer head on the wall, and, and even deer heads, you can add you can add scenery to a deer, just a plain old deer head on a piece of barn wood with maybe a shelf down below, a couple spent shells down there, and then some grass and some moss growing on the on the barn wood. I mean, even a, even a deer head you can dress up, Yeah. Uh, but it, it's just cool. It's just, you know, the, the, the sky's the limit on how creative you can be.
0: So we have a really cool mount. My husband shot two unique ducks for this area. And he got them both done, I think I guess it's called the dead mount, that's what we call it. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so it's like they're hanging on a peg off of some barn wood and very clearly dead. Um, there's a shelf, like you said, and we've got antique shell boxes and stuff on it, so it's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that mount took, I think, three years, two or three years. Um, the guy that we went with is notorious for taking a very long time. He's old, and oh. so we went in <laughs> with that expectation, but um, that <laughs> makes me wonder how long... How long does it take you to like mount a mountain lion?
1: So so this kind of turnaround is what on occasion gives taxidermists, you know, a bad name. Um, and it, it's almost as if you all and the customers and the stuff that we take in is just a hobby for us. And it is for some guys um, just a hobby. And, you know, we'll get to it when we get to it. I have a we try to have everything done before the next hunting season of that animal comes back around so in other words if it's deer season i want all my deer heads done before deer season starts again Mm. um so usually and usually i can't start any taxidermy till january 1st because deer season goes through well mid january but it really slows down and that's when we start our taxidermy so that means i've got six to eight nine months to get all that stuff done before deer season starts again. Same thing with birds, same, now fish, we do a 45 day turnaround. Um, so uh, a tur- turnaround's really important. You want the customer to remember and have the feeling of what that hunt was like. Mm. And three years later, <laughs> I mean, you're glad to get it back, but three years later, uh, you know, I and where do you put all this stuff that you're collecting? while it's taking you three years to mount everything. So I don't know who this person is and I'm not trying to dog him, but in our, we, we have a, we have a code, I guess, and it's gotta be done before the next season starts. Um, um, but the mountain line, you know, once you pull a mountain line out of the freezer and you skin it and flush it and tan it, it can be. So, if you brought in a mountain line today and I had the ability to go ahead and skin, take measurements, skin it and flush it, I'd order the form this afternoon. We would tan it and, and get it to a point where it could be mounted, and we use a, a wet tan. Um, we don't send it to a tannery. We actually do the tanning here, and if I could get that form within the next two or three days, the whole thing could be done and mounted in in a week. Mm-hmm. And then there's a drying process that ha- you know it has to completely dry, so that takes another two or three weeks, especially this time of year when it's so warm. Um, and you could have it back in a month if there was nothing else I was doing. Sure. You know. Yeah. So so the time frame is not nearly as as bad as some would want you to think it is but you know you brought your mountain lion in but I you also brought it in during deer, deer season and I took in you know 700 deer heads oh along gosh. with all the small game that usually comes this time of year along with the deer processing that we're doing um you know eight nine months is is reasonable I mean it gives me time to do what I need to do here in the moment put out all the fires the you know the, the meat and all that stuff and get that processed and get that back to the customer. And then January 1st, it is just straight up taxidermy. There's no seasons really. Well, the bird season starts there towards the end of deer season. And um, so then we're taking in birds. The birds we start doing in March and uh, usually are done and out by May. Um, And again, that also depends on how many we take in. But, you know, time frame wise, it it depends on how many, you know, animals that taxidermist took in. And then if he's doing them in the order that he received them, you know, and he took in, you know, four or 5,000 birds, then yeah, it might be three years. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it just depends on how much work and, you know, maybe, maybe he has a full-time job and this is a part-time, you know, a hobby for him, you know, so everybody's so different. Everybody's so different, but I do this full-time. This is what I
0: do for a living. So we, we concentrate on what we've got here in this building. It sounds like a lot to keep organized, especially if you're taking all of that in and then there's a waiting period before you actually get cracking on it.
1: You know, after 35 years, I've got a system. um, It is not foolproof by any means, but it is really I have found when there's a mistake made, it's because I didn't train somebody well enough or I forgot to tell them this piece of the puzzle. This has got to go with this and here's why. Um, So maybe being a teacher is helpful Um, because rather than just tell, here, do this, I want to explain why I want you to do this. Mm -hmm. Here is why, because if you don't do this, this could happen. And uh, so we've got several fail-proof things that if something does get missed, we've got two or three other ways to track it or to, you know, to correct it. Um, But that's just years of of making the mistake I would probably <laughs> say years of making mistakes to say okay we can't let that happen again how can we fix this and so we fix it and so 35 years later we, we've got a pretty good system now
0: wow that's cool okay we are going to take a quick break to hear from one of our partners <music> For 125 years, Rio has
1: made shot shells for hunting, sport, and defense using their own premium components. Top shooters like three-gunner Rihanna Kadic, champion clay shooter Tina Jewell, and outdoors woman Taylor Garcia trust Rio to give them the edge on the range and in the field. A full line of target loads like Star Team Evo, hunting cartridges like the popular Texas Game Load, plus an array of buck and slugs. Now Rio is proud to introduce their pro-eco biodegradable wad to help keep plastics out of the environment. Visit rioammo.com for a complete line of 12 and sub-gauge products for your favorite game. That's r-i-o-a-m-m-o
0: ocom com. And we're back. Uh, so before the break, we were talking about Time frames and all of that stuff. And one other thing that strikes me relative to time and taxidermy is you've been doing this for 35 years. What kind of new technologies or, um, materials or things like that have developed that you think are really cool for I your think, tr- trade?
1: Yeah. I think what increases and becomes better each year are the, is the anatomy of the different animals that we do mount. So the deer heads have come, I would say that's come come, uh, the farthest as far as, if you compared a deer head that was mounted in 1960 and one that's mounted in 2022, two different beasts, two different <laughs> animals, two different everything, because the anatomy and the specific detail to the forms have improved so much. Um, so, so the forms improving is probably the biggest thing little tools of the trade and stuff that really hasn't changed a whole lot i mean we've we've come up with some creative ways that we can accomplish things that are not for sale but just things that we've figured out figured out here in the shop hey if you use this threaded rod and you do it this way that's so you know little things like that we can we figure out on our own but that really it's just mainly the forms, the, the anatomy in the forms that are improving the look of, of the animal, you know, to be realistic. I mean, the stuff in the 60s, they had big, wide, boxy noses and mm-hmm. um, short snouts and, um, you know, fish forms haven't changed much for years, so the fish don't really change much. But it's, it's all the things that we use forms for that have the facial expression, that have um, you know, um, different poses—they've increased in main magnificently in poses that you can get in squirrels or bobcats or coyote. Any of those they they've really they've really stepped it up. So I would say that's the biggest change in all these years are the forms and the improvement on them.
0: Interesting. Oh, that's very interesting. So. Sorry, I'm just trying to gather my thoughts here, because <laughs> um, okay. this, this led me down a trail of, okay, when were forms invented, and what did people do before there were forms? Yeah, Th- those
1: are good questions. Actually, before deer forms were uh, invented, people actually used the skull of the deer. I mean, I've had people bring in deer heads, and they want them remounted, and I'll use a cape off a different deer, maybe that came in this season, and put it on a newer form. And when I take that skin off to get the rack off the actual skull is in that form. And I'm thinking, Holy cow, this has got to go back to the forties and the fifties. I mean, way, way, way back. Um, It's amazing. It's, it's just amazing. Uh, I've I've taken in moose where we are, are replacing or remounting them as well. And I'm taking the skin off. And for some reason, and when he brought it in, the whole thing was collapsed on one side. And I thought, what in the world did you do? He said, I just walked out one day and it was collapsed. And I got in there and didn't even have a 4 in it. it was like, it was like they had used a paper towel roll and soaked it in something that kind of stiffened it up just enough to slap that skin on there and sew it up. And then when it got too humid, that thing just collapsed. And that had to have been done in the you know, 50s, 60s, I mean, way back in the day. I mean, they had to be creative and figure figure it out. So we're really lucky as taxidermists in this day and age to have what we have. I mean, there there is nothing we cannot get for the most part or make because of the items we could purchase and put a two-part epoxy and make all kinds. There's nothing we can't get almost anymore. So we are really fortunate in this day and age compared to what they had back, back in the day. Uh, but, but they did mount them. They mounted them anyway. They didn't look like much of anything and the anatomy was horrible, but you know, you had your deer head up on the wall and the antlers are mainly what most people look at anyway. So, you know, the body may be collapsed, but look at that rack, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, there was something that I was going to ask you through all of that and it just in listening to you completely escaped me sorry. (laughs) No, it's, it's good. Let me try to, I'm going to try to pull it up out of the depths of my mom brain here. Oh, I wanted to ask you about, um, tanning hides. So I've spent, I've, I've dabbled to be, to put it generously, um, (laughs) in tanning some of my own hides. I have my two most successful hides were actually from Nutria, um, that we shot when we were duck hunting and they just like came up in front of the boat um, mm-hmm. both of those turned out really well. I did a red fox that uh, needs some love. Um, <laughs> and then I tried, unfortunately I threw away two deer hides just a few weeks ago that I tried to do before my daughter was born when I was pregnant and just didn't, I didn't get around to doing it adequately. But all that yeah. is to say, the method that I've been trying to use is using alum Mm -hmm. and I've had varying levels of success. Like I said, the Nutria turned out beautifully. um, The others, not so much. So I'm sure your process is different than what anyone at home would be doing, but what if you had to just do it from home, how would you do it? What would be your process?
1: Well, the truth of the matter is, if you brought in a deer hide to me, and you said, I want to lay this over my couch, I want it to be soft and supple, and uh, that's what I want to do with it, I would skin it, flesh it, salt it, dry it out, and ship it to a tannery. Mm, okay. Because the tannery that I use um, has s- several, several machines uh, are pieces of equipment that these hides go through. And when I get them back, they are as soft and tender as a, as a, uh, bedspread. I mean, they're, they're just, they're beautiful. And the time it would take for me to accomplish that here at the shop is not worth my time because I'm trying to mount 700 deer heads. Sure. So the tanning we do here in the shop which would go on a form, which means it's kind of a stiff tan, mm-hmm. but that's okay for what I do it use it for. In other words, when I wrap that skin around that deer form, it's okay if it's stiff and not soft and supple because I don't want it to be soft and supple on, mm-hmm. on the form. I need it to be good and stiff. I need it to hold the hair. I need it to look realistic. Um, when I send them to tanneries and we get those hides back, I mean, they are absolutely amazing and beautiful but they're a little bit puffy you you know they're a little bit um i mean they're just so beautiful um but that is not how it would look on a deer on a deer it's going to look like hair that's on your head if you don't you know puff it up it kind of lays flat on your head Mm -hmm. and and that's what i want on a shoulder mount i don't want a puffy puffy hair on a deer head. I want it to lay down and look natural, like he's walking through the woods. You don't see puffy hair on a deer when he's walking through the woods. You see it laying down flat to his body. That's what I want when I'm recreating a shoulder mount. So it's two different kinds of tanning. What you're trying to do would be something that you'd put in your home and maybe lay over something or the back of the couch or whatever, and that you want to be soft and supple and with the amount of taxidermy that we have to do, we do do them, but we send those specifically to a tannery. On occasion, somebody's dog, like today, somebody's husky passed away, and he wants the hide off of his dog, and he's going to lay it over the back of his couch or whatever. That is not something I'm going to spend my time on. I'm going to skin it, flesh it, and salt it, and then I'm shipping that to a tannery because I've got other things that I need to be doing. So we do offer the service, but that is not something we're hands-on with we do send that to a a reputable tannery and and, um, there are several tanneries out there and some of them do not do a good job but this tannery that I use I've never been disappointed with their work and they've been in business longer than I have so it's just um you know, that's just something I've chosen to do rather than spend the time doing that. I send it off. Similar, similar to my panels. If somebody wants a deer head on, on their back of their panel, I used to have all the equipment and we'd make the panels and we'd go by the big sheets of the plywood and, you know, the real nice plywood and stain it and cut it and, you know, all that stuff. I don't do that anymore either because I could be making more Use of my time mounting the things, than doing the panels. So I ordered the panels from a from a wood guy here in town, and he brings me my panels. So, you know, you got to learn where where do you need to focus on, and the tanning for soft skin or the or the woodworking, you know, like the panels that have design to them mm-hmm. is not something that we spend our time on. We just
0: buy those. That makes a lot of sense. What yeah. do you so if you okay, flushing? Do you use flushing knives or do you have some other system? We
1: have a uh, fleshing machine that is a round blade. Uh, it's a round blade, and you just run the skin across it, and it just peels the, the meat off. I've got a couple people that are way more, though, comfortable with using a this is just a little paring knife, a good sharp knife, and they can do as better a job and about as fast as a job with than the skinning machine. So it really is, is a preference to the person but for the most part we are able to um do it by hand with a paring knife or or the skinning machine fleshing machine
0: interesting very interesting Th- i'm just soaking it all in <laughs> <laughs> because i would love if i if i shoot a deer with my bow and my daughter on my back i i would love to send that off and have it tanned so if i was yeah. going to do that what you flesh it and then salt it like how much salt how long do you put it out of direct sunlight like what's the logistics right. there
1: so so if you've got a nice cold basement you'd you'd, you'd uh, take it off the deer then get all the meat off of the off of it that you can get all the blobs of fat off of it that you can then go buy a 50 pound bag of salt at a feed store somewhere you want the white salt and just cover it so you don't see the skin it's not an inch thick it's 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 minimally thick minimally thick, but you don't want to see the skin and you would lay that on top of something so that as the water drains from it or the liquid drains from it, it's not sitting in the liquid Mm -hmm. and do that one time and put a fan on it, leave it for a week or two. Um, obviously, like I said, you don't want it sitting in the the liquid that's draining from it. And you do not want it in the direct sunlight. You want it somewhere where it's cool in your basement or whatever, where it wouldn't matter if the, if the liquid's on the floor. Um, and then, and then uh, maybe a couple weeks later, I'd pick up that hide, shake off the salt, lay it over something so that it completely dries, and then fold it up into a big square and ship it off to the tannery. Cool. It, oh. It's just that simple. Yeah.
0: Let's hope that I need to listen back to this episode for those yeah. exact steps <laughs> yeah. after this fall. Um, something else I've always wondered about is, like I said, I, um, I skinned and attempted to tan a, a pelt from a red fox. And it was so interesting to me to try to cut around everything on its face. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, very delicate. And I thought about birds and how thin I mean I used to work at a game farm and we would just rip the pheasants open by hand we would just rip you know Uh how the heck do you go about preparing something that's so fragile like that
1: so yeah their skin is is thinner than a piece of paper right so it is something that um doing enough of them, you, you, I've got a bird fleshing machine and it's kind of like a wire wheel that goes around pretty quickly and you tenderly bring that skin up to it. And it just, it just takes that fat meat off. And if you're not paying attention, you'll rip a hole the minute you touch it. So it does take, you know, some practice and, and, uh, time, but you can get those things almost spotless, just completely spotless. Uh, of the of the meat and and fat Um, and then you're going to wash them and and mount them Uh, so yeah um, they are paper thin and that is probably the last thing I would teach someone who is new and has just come in to start working for me the the birds are the last thing I'm going to put them on I'll teach them everything else before I teach them the birds for that reason they are just so delicate
0: gotcha huh Okay, so normally we ask our guests to tell us one of their favorite stories um, from the field, and I would love to hear one of yours if you have one, but I would also love to hear what your favorite mount is that you've ever done.
1: Um, well, in, in the field or stream, I prefer to fish as opposed to hunt. Okay, stream um, is good too. I love to be in the woods and I love videoing the deer and, and someone shooting one and, and all I, and or shooting birds. I love all of that. But if I'm going to go out in the woods, I'm going to go in my kayak and fish out of my kayak in the water. And that's what I would prefer to do. And I, I you know, I don't really have a whole lot of stories, but I, I know that one of the last times that I went fishing, I caught a catfish that actually pulled me and my kayak around the lake. Oh and I thought, now how am I going to, what am I What am going to do here? But it was cool. It was a huge catfish, and it was just pulling me and my, my kayak around. So that's where I prefer to be, in, in the water. Um, you know, that's where I prefer to be.
0: Did you end up landing
1: it? I did. I did end up landing it, pulling it in. It, it took my hook. And like a goofball, I'm out there in my kayak. I, I, it's my last hook because I didn't realize that, that I didn't have hooks. And I took it over and traded for a pack of hooks for the catfish that I got. He said, yeah, I'll give you a pack of hooks for your catfish. I said, deal. <laughs> so that's that's what I ended up doing. But uh, I I, just, I love to kayak, and, and I prefer to be on the water in that way way than in the woods but man I love to hike too so hiking and seeing all the the animals and you know snakes going across the, uh, the path or um, a really cool hawk that that I haven't seen a, uh, much of or um, you know or deer you know jumping deer up when you're you know in the woods at 5 30, 6 o'clock in the evening and and you jump up a pack of deer it's just I, I love so I like woods for sure but if i'm going to be active in doing something i'm going to probably be in the water in my kayak or hiking uh which is not with a gun but you know hiking and and enjoying enjoying just enjoying the nature part of it
0: sure yeah i mean the catfish story is pretty cool one I think (laughs) that's a good one Um, what about do you have a favorite mount um or one of your favorites i guess
1: i i so love everything that I do that like when I'm out my first Buffalo and oh, it was wow. enormous. I mean, the, it was enormous. And I thought, okay, that's my favorite. And then somebody brought in a, uh, three or four piranha because they had that in their fish tank and so then I mounted some piranha that were going after something I thought all right now that's really cool and then somebody brought in a zebra and I thought okay now that was really cool and so it it, it, or I've got a huge gator out there right now 12 foot gator and I'm thinking okay that was really cool and then you know so it changes all the time for me because it's it's just I don't know it changes all the time for me
0: (laughs) sure wow Amazing. Okay, how do you? This is going to be my last question. How do you handle like physically animals that huge? How do you manipulate them? Because it's a delicate work, right? All these details, but they're big.
1: It is, and they are large. And that would be the the most negative. If there's anything negative, that is where you know having two or three people to help. I do have guys that work here. And uh, they helped me with the grunt grunt work. You know, they're loving picking up that, you know, gigantic buffalo. So um, or, or actually seeing it or bow. We got it. We've got a uh, bald python out there that is 18 feet long, weighed 100 and some odd pounds. And uh, it's out there in the show. And they loved that. They loved messing with that. So, you know, I, I do have guys. Hell, I, and and the girls here, none of them are weak. So, you know, if there's two or three women or a couple guys, you know, we we manipulate them, we move them around. I do have some winches that I lift the heavy stuff up with if I need to. Um, uh, we've just had to figure it out through the years. We've just sure. figured it out.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, it sounds like a lot of figuring it out. I mean, if you get thrown <laughs> a buffalo and a moose and a python, I mean, yeah,
1: yeah. The the first taxiderms I ever worked for figured everything out. And I learned from him, wow. I mean, everything's doable. Everything's figure outable, right? And, <laughs> and, uh, that, that's what he did. And I thought, okay, I want to be like that someday. And sure enough, here we are and we need a, a, a certain kind of fish bin or we need, um, you know, something. And I'm trying to think, okay, what can I make that out of? What could, and and that's part of the creative side of it that I just absolutely love. And then when you figure something out and you you figure it out to where it looks as good as the real thing, you're thinking, okay, we did it. And we, now we remember that next time we need, you know, the catfish that's got that little, you know, um, uh thing coming out of the top of his head that's really sharp or the or the whiskers down below what can i recreate that with because uh, it needs to be stiff but it needs to be at an angle and it needs to you know and so we th- we we figure it out it's it's and probably all taxidermists do that by the way we're not the only ones i'm sure
0: but yeah. uh yeah it's cool super interesting wow Okay. Uh, so the final thing that we like to do on episodes is go kind of round robin and ask uh, our hits and misses. It's our weekly closer. What have you been aiming for and how did it go?
1: Oh, gosh, about every other thing I do fails and the, every other thing I do succeeds. So it's fun to fail because you learn from it and it, and it benefits the next thing that you choose to do and then it's successful so I, I love both sides of it but um, gosh I love the the processing side of deer and it is a heavy thing but we we took in two deer last night that both weighed over 220 pounds mm. so they're very very heavy and um, but I love the processing side of it so I decided Let's start processing chickens for the local farmers that can't get a big place you know, one of these big factories to do it. Let's start, let's get the USDA in here and let's start processing chickens and let's start you know, which has nothing to do with taxidermy, absolutely nothing to do with taxidermy, but I've got it in the same building. It's separate from the taxidermy, but I've got it in the same building. So again, that's, that's the variety part. There's one day I can do taxidermy one day I can do habitats and the next day do, you know, a thousand chickens. I just love, what I've thrown together here I, I, I'm in love with it and of course the money follows when, when, you, when you enjoy something like that the, the money does follow at least for me it's followed so I've, I've been very grateful for that but I just love the fact and, and of course chickens are animals so, and I'm seeing chickens that are coming in all different kinds of colors and their feathers are amazing so now I'm saving feathers off of these big ones because I might want to recreate a owl one day which are illegal to do But if I have all the feathers that would recreate an owl, then then that's what I'll do. And we've recreated a couple eagles out front in our showroom. And they're completely made out of chicken feathers, uh, feathers. turkey feathers and canadian geese feathers oh my but gosh. it is it is as realistic as you'll ever see an eagle and it's all recreated there's not a thing that the feet are poured so the talons and everything are are gigantic and they're poured and the and the um you know every the part of the head is poured and then the the chicken's feathers go over the top of the head to give that white bald eagle look and then i mean it's just amazing it's just creative. It's artsy and it's right down my alley. And now that we're doing these chickens, I'm thinking, Oh, that color would be perfect for, you know, some some secondary feathers on that eagle that I want to work on. And so now I'm saving those and fluffing them up and I've got a big old cabinet that's got all feather colors and then sometimes when we do stuff for um, you know, Hollywood and they need a bunch of two or three parrots and they've got to be this color and it's got to be you know this that and that we can come over here and pull those feathers out of the drawer so that so the chicken may seem like it's got nothing to do with anything but it's got everything to do with the stuff we get drawn into and and are fortunate to get drawn into i might add and and uh and recreate stuff i don't know i just i just love what i do it is uh it's I just love it.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. Well, uh, that is easy to pick up on through this conversation with you. Um, What is your business called? What's the name of your taxidermy shop? So the
1: the taxidermy is Feather, Fin, and Fur Taxidermy. Um, The deer processing is Red Barn Deer Processing. Uh, All of this is all in the same building. And then the chickens is Atlanta Poultry Processing. Again, all in the same building, same address, but th- three businesses in one, and and they all seem like they don't have anything to do with anything, but they they work they work together. It's a niche that not everybody you know can can find or have, and and it works for us. The things that we choose to do, everything we do here works together to make stuff happen. Um, Very cool. I love yeah. it. That's amazing. Well, thank- well, thank
0: you. It's, it's always inspirational to hear about people who have followed their passion and, you know, against all odds. It, it takes a lot of guts to stop, you know, stop being a teacher after you went to school for it and you're committed and to just go, you know, 180. But to hear, you know, 35 years out how happy you are, it's it's inspiring. Yeah.
1: It's, 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 um, you know, if, if you believe in a God, I think that it was all designed. It was all, I was open to the idea of it. I, I wasn't married, so I didn't have kids or family to, to worry about. And, um, you know, I, it just was, it was an open field for me. Um, and I just thought, well, I might as well try it. I'm young, might as well try it. And, uh, one thing led to another and, um, uh, you know, I just can't sleep fast enough
0: to get back to work. I, it's weird. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Oh, well, thank you so much, Beth, for joining us. This is an illuminating, illuminating conversation for me. And I don't know, I feel like we could do a whole other episode on the Hollywood taxidermy. <laughs> for sure. We didn't even get to for talk sure. much about that. Um, very cool okay well thank you for
1: having me i appreciate it
0: absolutely thanks for joining us this week on the artemis podcast we hope you're having a great week until next time be bold stay curious and get outside